Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, it's Jason with the Steel City Scoop, and I know it's a little bit uh, since we've had an episode. It's been about a month or so, but with the Hall of Fame induction last night and the announcement of the four new inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame, I thought it would be a good day to do a new episode, and joining me today is actually going to be Max as uh, one of the Steel City Collectibles employees, and Max, I'll just go ahead and let you introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, thanks, Jason. Hi. Uh, as Jason said, my name is Max. I uh, work for Steel City Collectibles, and um, if you've seen us at shows uh, within the last couple of years, you may have seen me there. A lot of times I'm there at the booth and sometimes walking around the show, uh, taking a look at the other dealer setups and making some buys. Uh, if you're familiar with some of our Gold Rush products at all, I'm also involved with uh, putting some of those together, miscellaneous things around like that. So uh, certainly, you know, you may uh, know me to see me, but uh, hopefully I'll see you again at a show sometime soon. And uh, really glad to be on and talking about the Hall of Fame class today with you, Jason. Thanks. All right, so we're not going to waste any time today because I know we both have a bunch of notes in front of us to talk about and a bunch of numbers to go over and probably a couple good arguments coming forward. So let's go ahead and get into the discussion of the 2019 Baseball Hall of Fame inductions. All right, so the 2019 Baseball Hall of Fame class had four players inducted last night and two players inducted, um, what, about a month or two ago, probably a month ago. Uh, because of the Veterans Committee. The two previous inductees were Lee Smith and Harold Baines, and not really going to talk too much about them today. Um, Not that it's old news, but I think there's enough discussion that we can do with the four from last night. Um, The one thing I do want to ask is, with Lee Smith and Harold Baines, and I want to ask this with every player, um, Beckett had a nice little article up showing all of the rookie cards from the 2019 class. And it just kind of shows the difference in 80s and 90s cards versus 2019 cards. So between the six players in the 2019 Hall of Fame class, there are 15 total rookie cards. So two and a half cards apiece. Uh, So let's just start with Harold Baines. I wanted to ask you, and then I'll give my opinion, which card, if you were going to add one card to your collection, which card would you pick for Harold Baines? I think I would have to go with the uh, with the 1981 tops. That's uh, and it's actually one that I know I have in my collection. So, any reason? You know, I, whenever I was younger, I I know that my uncle and my father had cards, and and everything with them was pretty much tops. Uh, so that was just kind of what I naturally had gotten into. And uh, the 81 is kind of a neat design. It's not necessarily my favorite, but it's very unique amongst many of the other tops designs that they have. So. 
Uh, I would actually pick the same one. I like the 81 tops the best. Uh, the OPG has a little bit of a different logo there in the bottom right corner. The baseball says OPG instead of tops, but essentially the same card. Um, I know I picked this one up for about a dollar, dollar fifty. I'll check out my cards prior to the induction. Um, so I'm sure it's doubled in price to two to two fifty right now. So yeah. uh, still a cheap one to pick up. It's a Hall of Fame rookie card, but it's nice when you can add it for you know two bucks or so. And then for Lee Smith, um, he is actually in '82 Donruss Fleer and Tops. So we got a little bit more of a choice here. Which one would you pick for Lee Smith? I would probably go actually with the 1982 Donruss design. I know that it's been one that's been a real favorite in the industry, uh, that particular design, and it's actually one that uh, even today, Jason, I'm sure you've seen that Panini has done some throwbacks in various sports to that 1982 design. Uh, it's kind of a neat action shot, so uh, that would be my pick in this instance. Um, I would actually go with the 82 tops. Um, that's the year I was born, so I don't know if that's kind of why that design sticks with me. Uh, but it is one that I have, and again, it was a check out my cards purchase for you know, definitely less than $2. Um, I like the color of the little swoosh hockey stick looking thing on the left side of the card. So for me, that red and blue on the side is what does it. Um, the one in the middle honestly kind of doesn't even look like Lee Smith to me. So I guess that one would be a that is 82 clear, the one in the middle, the, the picture that we're looking at. So 82 tops is the one I would pick there. So let's get into the four guys that were picked last night. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's, go with let's go with uh, Rivera, actually. Okay. So I'll let you start on your discussion here. I want to point out one thing. We did polls on our Twitter page yesterday. Uh, the Twitter for us is SCC Trading Cards. Make sure you follow that. Um, that's all of our news, promotions, any sales, anything like that that we have going on is going to be on our Twitter page. However, we posted polls yesterday for every player that was up for induction. Uh, for the most part, you know, most of the ones that were in contention, we didn't post the ones that we kind of thought would be at the bottom. So Mariano Rivera yesterday, he actually was a 97% yes and a 3% no for all of the Steel City Collectibles followers. Um, you might know by now he was a 100% unanimous induction. He was the first one ever. What are your thoughts on this? Well, my initial thought is that uh, 3% must live in Boston or something um, because I, I couldn't envision really much of an argument for him by not being a Hall of Famer whenever you think about uh, saves especially as we know them today, maybe not in the late 80s, whenever people were getting two and three innings saves, Jason, is whenever he came in, the game was essentially over. Um, whenever I think of many World Series wins, you know, you think of him being in, uh, closing those out, um, everybody running onto the field, it's kind of iconic to think of him that way. Another way that it's really iconic to think of him is, I believe, Jason, he was the last to wear 42. Uh, and uh, so now, you know, obviously that was Jackie Robinson's number, which has been universally uh, retired by Major League Baseball. But now, I mean, he he's definitely a Hall of Famer to me. Uh, that that cut fastball that he had is is probably one of the best pitches um, that I've certainly seen in my lifetime. And I think if you were to pull hitters, <laughs> I think they would agree. Yeah, they said last night uh, during the announcement. Um, they said 
that he would most likely be the last person ever inducted that wore number 42. Um, I don't know if he's officially the last one to wear it. I think so. I'm not 100% on that. But I would agree with you. I mean, it's a little upsetting to me that he was 100% unanimous. Um, I'm such a Ken Griffey Jr. follower, sure. and, you know, that's what I grew up on. And I felt like if Griffey wasn't 100%, that kind of nobody else should be. Um, but I don't want to take away from what Rivera did just for the fact that, you know, in comparing him to another player, that's not fair. Uh, for me, he's a definite. He he would always get my vote if I had that vote. He would always get my vote to be in the Hall of Fame, and I think you just kind of said that you would agree on that as well. Yeah, and, and maybe the fact that he's the first one that's unanimous has to do with, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that this was maybe the first year that the people had to reveal their ballots. It wasn't necessarily a secret ballot, so uh, maybe that had something to do with it, but no, definitely don't want to take away a sure thing Hall of Fame. Um, so this one, you know, to pick his rookie card, which one would be the one we add to our collection? It's an easy one. He only has one. Uh, it's the 92 Bowman number 302. And this is that iconic Bowman set with the rookies that have a lot of street clothes pictures. Yeah. You know, I, it's one of the last, maybe the last Bowman set to do that. It was kind of unique and iconic for sure. Um, you know, you got Mariana Rivera in a polo and white khaki pants. So, yeah, not something you're going to see too often. All right. So, the next guy I'm going to pick, um, I'm going to go with Mike Messina. This is the guy for me that I've wanted him to get in for a long time. But give you the numbers. Our Twitter poll yesterday, he was a 59% yes and a 41% no. Um, he got a vote percentage total of 76.7 and that is up stuff last year from 63.5 so he went up just under just over 13 percent uh to get into the hall of fame you know and we posted that poll but we also posted the question of when he goes in assuming he was going to would he go in as an oriole or a Yankee, and we had that discussion yesterday. To me, it's Orioles all the way, but I can see where a good argument could be made for the Yankees, so I kind of want to know what you have to say on this one. I would agree. I, to me, I'm I'm 32 years old, so whenever I really first started watching baseball and really fell in love with it, it would be right around his his rookie year and, of course, into the early 90s, and, and I really remember him as, as an Oriole. He had that very unique wind up and you know maybe that's why he was always one of my favorite players because it was just different than um than what I was used to seeing obviously he was very good with the Yankees and he's one of those rare players that was kind of with two teams and it was pretty much equal time I believe um with both certainly had very very good years and championship years with the Yankees but to me uh, I would really like to see that Orioles cap on his Hall of Fame plaque being the I'm kind of in agreement with you without checking his stats for sure. It did seem like he was pretty split between the Orioles and the Yankees as far as the length of time with each team. Would it really bother you either way? No, it wouldn't. Um, I just, you know, it's just one of those things that I think that it's kind of a judgment call. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the powers that be choose because as, as you're aware, you know, the Hall of Fame kind of chooses the, 
the hat that you have? No? Player chooses. Do they know? Mm-hmm. Player chooses. Well, then I, I think that he would I think that he would be really have a lot of fans to go in as, as an Oriole. It's a big market in New York, but but uh, I don't know. I, I just picture him as an Oriole all the way. You know, and of course, being in this area, you know, we're in the Pittsburgh area. Um, me, I'm from West Virginia, and I have very close family friends that are in Maryland. So the Orioles have always kind of been a third or fourth team on the list for me and Messina. You know, his rookie cards came out in 91. That was my prime collecting years. I was nine years old. Um, those 91 sets, 90, 91, 92, that's the stuff that I grew up with. And for me, Messina is always an Oriole. It doesn't bother me that he played for the Yankees, but it would bother me a little bit to see him actually have that Yankee hat in Cooperstown. Um, this one actually... So Messina actually has four cards uh, to pick from. He's got the the 1991 Bowman, um, and that's actually in the looks to be a spring training uh, jersey because it's the orange jersey. Uh, up close picture of him. He has a 1991 score, uh, which is also a close up studio type uh, picture. The 1991 uh, Ultra is actually a shot of him pitching in a game. Um, he's got the gray jersey on. And the 1991 upper deck um, card, I believe that is uh, a shot of him. Yeah, right in Hagerstown. Um, I would say if I had to pick my favorite, and I'm sorry to jump ahead, I'm actually going to go with the 1991 score. This was always a favorite set of mine um, because Chipper Jones had a card in there as well. Um, it's just one that really stuck out to me that I like collecting whenever I was a little kid. I'm torn between two different cards. Um, the 91 upper deck for me, I love when you get these right out of the pack, how white the border is. I mean, it's like the purest white that you can get off of a card, and I think it's amazing. The downfall for me is that he has a minor league uniform on. Um, not a huge deal because it is Hagerstown Suns, and I kind of like that team a little bit, but that's the one detractor for me. Um, I think I would actually go with 91 Flare Ultra just because that was their first premium set, that silver border just does something for me as a kid. Although the 91 score, like you said, that was a pretty cool set. And I always liked how they came in that kind of squarish rectangle factory set box. Uh, And that was, I think an 800 card set. That was one of the bigger sets. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So what did you just show me? Because I think you're going to correct me. And I swore it was that the player picked it. So I was, um, I was taking a look uh, because earlier I had said that the Hall of Fame picks who's on the plaque and um, we had a little bit of a disagreement between ourselves and it and it does look like um, the Hall of Fame does actually pick who was on that plaque. Uh, the reason that that had struck, stuck out to me is I believe there was a little bit of disagreement at one point because a player wanted to wear uh, one hat in the plaque and the Hall of Fame selected another one. That might have been Andre Dawson. I know I think it's Gary Carter is what it said. Oh, and Gary, Gary Carter, Carter, there was, yeah, and there was definitely some there because Gary Carter obviously had those years with the Expos, um, you know, in the Mets. So it looks like the Hall of Fame does decide on those, um, although it really would be nice, I think, if maybe that was more of a collaborative effort. I think that the article that you showed me said that they get the player's opinion, but obviously the be-all, end-all is the, is the league, so – or whoever, whoever that was referring to, not the player. Sure. So, 
Okay, so the third player that we're going to talk about, um, this is going to be an easy one, I think, for most people. Um, Edgar Martinez, you know, we'll go ahead and get his rookie card situation out of the way. He only has one. Um, it's from 1988 Clear. And if you don't remember, this is that white design that has the blue and red stripes. Um, it's a kind of iconic yeah. junk wax card design, I would say, uh, just because it stood out. But I think a lot of those Clear especially 88, 89, and then 91 with the yellow. I think those flare designs really uh, stick in a lot of people's memory, especially those that are our age, you know, mid-30s. So um, Edgar Martinez got in this year a 74% yes and a 26% no. Um, from the writers, he actually got an 85.4% vote to get in this year. Uh, that is up from last year's. He got a 70.4. So he actually had a pretty decent decent increase of 15%. I think that was the highest increase this year. Um, the second highest we'll talk about here in a little bit. Somebody that didn't get in. But we talked about this a little bit yesterday and wanted to save some for today. To me, I might hurt some feeling. To me, Edgar Martinez is not a Hall of Famer. Oh, uh, I, I doesn't. I just don't think he, he he doesn't pass the name test for me. And by that I mean, if you ask me, Hall of Famer Edgar Martinez, instantly my head says no. Whereas if you would say that for Griffey, Frank Thomas, Glavin, Maddox, I instantly think yes. So to me, that's where it doesn't fit. What do you think? Well, to me, whenever you say the name Edgar Martinez, I, I think he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Um, and we all have different criteria, and that's what makes us so much fun is, is sometimes the disagreements that, that we have. And, and it's very valid points um, all around. To me, I think Edgar Martinez revolutionized the DH position. And if you ask and think back, you know, what DH uh, really sticks out in your mind, Obviously, they're on today, such as David Ortiz. Obviously, he was a first baseman, but then he was a DH for several years. Edgar Martinez, I I just can't help but think that he was a Hall of Famer. I mean, he had a 33 OPS. Um, one thing that always was really impressive to me about Edgar Martinez as well is um, he had such a good eye. He, uh, he drew a walk 14.79% of the time. Um, of his plate appearances. Um, and that's actually a really high number. Whereas uh, obviously Ken Griffey Jr., someone like that had a higher uh, amount of home runs and RBIs. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. only walked about 11.6% of his plate appearances. So Edgar Martinez with a 312 batting average, um, I believe he had two batting titles as well. Uh, I just think the professional at bats that he gave. Uh, for those Mariners teams uh, and over such a long period, I, I just to me, name test, I think he's a slam dunk. It kind of makes you wonder, though, being that he was a Mariner during the years that they had Biscow, Reynolds, Griffey, Buner, Randy Johnson, a rod to start. Yeah. Does he get lost because he's not that big name that was in commercials or had sponsorship sponsorships, you know, is that my issue? Maybe I don't consider him the big name because he didn't have all that other stuff going on for him. Well, it could be. And, and you know what? Um, 
you know, certainly when you think of those Mariners teams, you think of a lot of names that you mentioned. And Edgar Martinez, I suppose, as a personality, doesn't necessarily jump off of the page. Um, another thing that can sometimes hurt is, you know, we're on the East Coast here. So whenever we were sitting down yeah, in the evenings to watch a baseball game, um, you know, we weren't getting to see Edgar Martinez play every day where we were. Some of these guys that were on the East Coast. Um, and whenever we were watching SportsCenter, um, you know, sometimes the designated hitter uh, going one for three during the walk and having two RBI wasn't as exciting as seeing A-Rod, seeing Ken Griffey Jr., seeing uh, Jay Buhner uh, hit those home runs or make those amazing catches in the outfield. Okay, so we have one more to talk about. Um, he was the fourth player inducted, um, and there was a nice – I guess it's not nice – but an interesting little tidbit that they talked about last night um, on MLB Network. I guess Roy Halladay is the first person since Christy Matthewson, who was part of the first holiday class, to be inducted after his death. Mm. And I might have that a little bit backwards, but it was something like after his death on his first ballot. So in that five-year gap where you have to wait, yeah, there's never been anybody that passed away uh, during that gap and then was later inducted into the Hall of Fame, if that makes sense. And they said Christy Matthewson was the next one, and I think that was 84, 85 years ago. So, I mean, that's, that's a stat. Obviously, it's a stat you don't want to have, but it's an interesting stat nonetheless. Yeah, because I believe they waived that wait, waiting period for Roberto Clemente. So yes, I that was some people were listening, and, and that might be one that they're they're yelling out. But yeah, that would be the difference there. If you don't mind, um, to me, and I'm sure we'll certainly talk about um, his rookie cards. But just you know, based on the name alone and the year, I, I certainly think he's. I certainly think um, a Hall of Famer. Um, his win total only being 203. Um, this day and age, sometimes that might be a little bit light. Um, but whenever you watched him pitch, uh, you know, I mean, he was the best pitcher in baseball for, for several years. Um, you know, certainly with Toronto, um, I remember the strikeouts that he had and, and that curveball, how it would move. Uh, he, several Cy Youngs, he was over 20 wins at least three times in his career. Uh, he only had two losing seasons as well, Jason. And um, to me, Hall of Fame stuff, definitely a Hall of Famer. I just didn't know if it would happen this first year, but but I'm glad that it did. Yeah, I don't want to say I was shocked that it, he got in the first year of eligibility. I think I was more shocked at the percentage that he got. Yeah. Um, you know, our Twitter poll, 78% said yes, 22% said no. But his baseball writer's percentage was 85.4. Um, I thought he would be, you know, more like a 78, 80%, you know, but we're talking five to seven different, so it's not a lot. Um, never thought he would be in the 90s, you know, by any stretch, but I, he's one of those guys where I think you look back at their career and for, you know, we're looking 02 to 10. He had an eight to nine year run of just dominance. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a perfect game and a no hitter in the same season. Was it two no hitters? Something like that. And I believe, and and if I'm thinking of of what you're saying too, I mean there was certainly a game in the postseason where he had a no hitter. I believe right. in the NLDS. Um, 
Yeah, just absolute total domination. There's no better way to put it. So, Halliday stats, he finished in the Cy Young top five voting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Um, you know, he won the Cy Young Award twice, was an eight-time All-Star, um, probably most notably known for the time with the Phillies. Do you agree? Probably I actually would disagree. I, I really think of him as a Blue Jay. Okay. Yeah. I think with the Phillies, though, I mean, they, they had all of that postseason success under Charlie Manuel. Um, and I definitely remember, and obviously that's where um, that no-hitter in the playoffs came in. Um, but, man, I, I really remember watching him up in Toronto, um, certainly seeing the highlights. It, it seemed like once a week you were putting on the TV and seeing highlights of him striking out 12 to 15 players. No. So I think he was an easy one for us. Um, I think the interesting stuff is going to come next for the people that didn't get in. So the more heated discussions, uh, but three rookie card options for him, 97 Bowman, 97 Bowman Chrome and 97 Bowman's best. Is there one that you would pick above the others out of there, out of those three options? You know, to be honest, I am, uh, I have all three. Um, that Bowman's best is such a cool design. Uh, I think that I would have to go with that and just to kind of see how Bowman's best has, has grown recently. Uh, that's the one I would pick. Uh, I think I would agree with you. The design is nice, but between the, the three options, the 97 Bowman, if you guys remember, it's that black border. Uh, I try to stay away from black border cards as much as I can just for that chipping reason. Right. Uh, but Bowman's best. If I'm picking a Chrome card, I'm going to go Bowman's Best instead of the Bowman Chrome on that one. So I agree with you again on that 97 Bowman's Best for Roy Halladay. All right, so let's talk about some of the guys that didn't get in. And I have a handful that I definitely want to make sure we talk about. Um, we're already about 30 minutes in, so we got another 30 minutes, and then I got to do a couple other things too. So I guess. Priority for me would be McGriff and Bonds. Okay. So if you want to start there, you want to start with somebody else, I'm I'm open to whatever you want to do here. Well, we can we can certainly start with Bonds. To me, it's a pretty short short conversation. Okay. Um, no reason at all in my mind why he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the all-time leader in home runs. Obviously, we know that the steroid issue was a real hot button. Um, but I don't think anyone anywhere can definitively say he, she, yes, no, um, anywhere. And I watched him play and we have a benefit of being here in Pittsburgh. So I watched him from a very early point. You could definitely see the changes in his game. Um, I think whenever he was a, a real thin guy playing for the pirates, he was a, he was a four tool guy. He probably would have had no problem being 30, 30, 40, 40 on a consistent basis. I think even if you just look at that, certainly he had the Hall of Fame talent. What he did after that was pretty remarkable. And, and one thing that I try to point to whenever people make a steroid argument uh, against him, Jason, which it's really hard to disagree with, is look at the eye that Barry Bonds had. Um, no matter what did or didn't happen as far as steroids might be concerned, I don't know if there's been a hitter that could identify the strike zone any better than Barry Bonds. Um, he could hit the ball pretty much any direction that he wanted it to go. Obviously, in the later years, the direction he wanted it to go was over the fence, and it did. Um, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. 
So I think the one thing for me is obviously when he was in Pittsburgh, he was smaller. When he was in San Francisco, he was bigger. Um, I think a lot of people separate the two as a before and after, mm-hmm. like before alleged steroids and after. And I don't, I'm not going to go into it too deep, but I think if he had stayed Pittsburgh size, he still would have been a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Because he was stealing bases, average home runs, fielding. You know, you said four tool. I mean, the guy was Griffey before Griffey, probably better than Griffey to an extent. Yeah. Um, and then he was the big signing for San Francisco. And obviously, his walks went up. Nobody wanted to pitch to him. And I've heard a lot of people make the argument, and I kind of make the same argument, that he may have hit farther, but he still hit the ball. Yeah. So there's that hand-eye coordination that I can take steroids today, and I'm still not going to hit a Randy Johnson fastball or you know any of these other pitchers, Clemens, whoever you want to name. So for me, that he was a Hall of Famer before the accusations. To me, the Hall of Famer after. You know, just to clarify. Our Twitter poll yesterday, he was a 66% yes and a 34% no. Um, Our Twitter followers actually voted higher than the Baseball Writers Association. Uh, He only got a 59.1%, and he only increased 3% from last year. So if he's going to go up 3 4 5% each year, it's going to take a little bit for him to get there. I think he might be a Veterans Committee induction in – five, ten years, whenever that happens. I don't think he's going to get voted in. Uh, but I think I think he needs to be there. And it's we're not even going to get into a Pete Rose discussion. <laughs> but when you don't have the all-time hits leader and the all-time home run leader in the Hall of Fame, something's a little off. Yeah, it's kind of a Hall of pretty good. Yeah, to an extent, definitely. All right, I'll let you pick the next one. You want to talk about? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what the 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 hitter uh, and that I think should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame that has some unbelievable numbers, and I have no idea why uh, they're not there is Larry Walker. Okay, I will. It's going to be a good one. I, I will. <laughs> I will never, for the life of me, understand this. I um, uh, I've heard people make an argument against him um, that he played in Colorado. I've heard all sorts of different arguments. Obviously, there was a big field there, but Larry Walker, for his career, hit 313. He had 383 home runs. He had uh, just over 1,300 RBI. His OPS is 965, Jason. So it'll be very interesting for me to hear any type of argument against. Uh, Ken, Ken Griffey Jr.'s OPS was 907. Jeez. Um, Larry Walker, um, whenever he came up to the plate, if you take the total number of RBI he had divided by his appearances, he got an RBI 16.33% of the time, which is higher than Ken Griffey Jr. at 16.24% of the time. And certainly just for kind of a point of reference, uh, Edgar Martinez, uh, his same stat right there is 14.53. So Larry Walker to me, um, you know, he was an MVP. He was an all-star five times. He won seven gold gloves. He was a three-time silver slugger. He won the batting title three times. And I think it was in 1997 um, or maybe 99, whenever he and Tony Gwynn were going back and forth, and it looked like one of them might get to 400. Uh, It was amazing to see him hit. Um, 
you know, he had a phenomenal eye at the plate. He was a, and like I said, he was a, a great fielder. He had an unbelievable arm. So uh, what are your thoughts on Larry Walker? Okay. So I misspoke earlier. Um, I said that Edgar Martinez probably had the highest increase between the 18 and 19 um, Hall of Fame induction voting with a 15% increase. Martinez was actually third behind Larry Walker, who had a 20% increase, which doesn't help my case, and Fred McGriff, who had a 16% increase, which we will definitely talk about here in a few minutes. So our Twitter poll yesterday was pretty split. Um, Larry Walker was a 49% yes and a 51% no, so pretty much down the middle. Um, And then his 2018 voting percentage was 34.1, where this year was 54.6. Yeah. So pretty significant jump. Um, if you look at next year's class, which we'll try to get a couple minutes in, next year's class is very weak. Um, it's pretty much Derek Jeter and nobody else. Right. So I think if anybody's going to get in next year, if Larry Walker's ever going to get in, next year is a pretty good year, especially if he can get that kind of a jump again. I mean, granted, you're talking he's going to need a 20% increase again, but I think he has a good chance. Um, I would love to see him go in as an expo, not a Rocky, but I think he needs to go in as a Rocky. Um, I'm kind of on the fence. It's not going to bother me either way, but he is that Edgar Martinez person to me where he doesn't stand out. Um, He it makes me think of Lance Berkman, like all those guys kind of just go together where, you know, maybe it's a card thing where I got his card and it wasn't anything special to me. So, you know, maybe that's not fair of me to not say that he should be in the hall of fame. Um, if you look at his numbers prior to Colorado from 92 to 94, he had home run totals of 23, 22 and 19 and the 19 home runs was in, 94 with the strike shortened season, and then he batted 301, 265, and 322. Uh, so he definitely was producing before Colorado, but there's a significant jump. Um, his first year in Colorado, 36 home runs, and then 18, but he had an injury season in 96, and then a massive jump to 49 home runs in 97. So yeah, but 98, he had 23. True. I mean, but when you're going from 19 and 22 to 49, something's there. But then again, you can argue and say, if I'm voting for bonds, maybe I should vote for Larry Walker because there are other people that play in Colorado that don't hit 49 home runs, you know, Jeff Baker, Walt Weiss, those kind of guys, they're not hitting 49. So Colorado might give you a few more hits and home runs here and there, but you know, maybe he should be in. Maybe I should apologize to you oh, and say, not to, Walker. to Mr. Walker. <laughs> but to me, he's on the fence, and I think a lot of people will agree with me, um, at least right now. So, But he did get that 20% increase, so I would keep an eye on him for next year. His rookie cards are in 1990, so very cheap. I mean, dollar or less. He's in Fleer, Tops, Donruss, all those 90 sets. So. Yeah. That's an easy one to add if he does go to the Hall of Fame. So, for me, I would be okay with that just because it's, he's a cheap add to a collection. So, <clears throat> the next one that I want to talk about is Fred McGriff. <clears throat> Certainly, yeah. With uh, with Fred McGriff, 
he's certainly a, a player that sticks out to my mind um, whenever he was in Atlanta and obviously in Tampa too. Um, I think he was a great baseball player. Was he Hall of Fame? I'm not so sure. Um, you know, a batting average at 284, just under 500 home runs at 493, uh, 1550 RBIs. So PS was only 886, um, and that's significantly lower um, in many of the categories than Larry Walker. So I'd be interested to hear uh, your argument, Jason, on why maybe you think that he should be in. Um, he should be in because he was a childhood favorite of mine. So I'm just going <laughs> to stop right there. Um, you know, this kind of goes into that milestone um, induction. You know, do milestone records automatically put you into the Hall of Fame? And I wanted to talk about it with this guy and then possibly with Gary Sheffield coming up maybe next. To me, I was a huge Braves fan as a kid. Um, I got attached to the Braves because of friends. Uh, actually, a neighbor was a huge Braves fan, and then it just kind of stuck with me with Maddox and McGriff, and I can probably still name that whole roster, uh, the, the 90s Braves. But McGriff does it for me with the amount of home runs. His average is 284, but I'm okay with that. You know, I don't need you to hit 300. I, I would rather you be consistent and to me, he pretty he was pretty consistent through his career. Um, his average home run total was 32 uh, for 162 game average. So realistically, he his average was probably 25 because he never played 162 games a year. Uh, but you know, 25 home runs a year, batting average is probably around 275, 280 a year. To me, that's a pretty good average. And he played almost pretty good. Does that catch in the Hall of Fame? Just apparently good. it does, but it's consistently pretty good. Well, he's consistently has Not numbers Larry lower Walker than Larry up and down Walker. And stuff. Well, you know, so he really was, and he is. To be honest, I don't think Jason that he gets the credit that he deserves. Um, and there's like no ever attachment to steroids or PED. No, he's never even been rumored, and I think to me that's another reason that it's like, yeah, if we're not going to put these guys in that are rumored to be in, let's at least make sure a couple of these that are on the bubble get in. And I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, but to me, I think he deserves it. He's only seven home runs away from 500. Do you think if he had seven more home runs that he would be in the Hall of Fame? Because I think there's an argument to be made there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But then that goes into the – let's just go ahead and talk about the next person. Sure. Gary Sheffield. Okay. 509 home runs, rumored PED with his arm cream or whatever it was. Does 500 home runs put you automatically into the Hall of Fame? Obviously not because Sheffield's not there. No, but do you know what I think might hurt Gary Sheffield a little bit is um, he had a lot of stops. Uh, you know, I, I know they travel with man. him. Yes, I, I mean, I remember some of his rookies in in '89. He he was a thin little third baseman with the uh, with the Brewers. Um, you know, he had this, uh, a short time with the Padres, many years in Florida, which I which I remember a good deal because uh, he was part of that World Series team where Jim Leland was managing, where they won the World Series, and then um, well, all those players were gone. If I think of Sheffield as the name and what I remember of watching him play, to me, 
honestly, he does pass the test of being a Hall of Famer. I don't think he had the same consistency. I think that he put fear into pitchers, um, but I don't know if he made the pitchers work as hard as a guy like Fred McGriff did when Fred McGriff would just stand there and foul off pitch after pitch after pitch uh, and draw so many walks. So I guess let's do a little blind test, and I know we already know who the player is, but if I would tell you the stats of a player, tell me yes or no, does he go to the Hall of Fame? Nine-time All-Star, which we know is fan-voted, so that can go either way. Mm-hmm. Five-time Silver Slugger, Major League Player of the Year, Player of the Year, a batting title, World Series champion, 500 home runs, 292 average. Is that Hall of Fame? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get an argument here. Right, and that's where I think he should be in. Um, you know, but it's 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 the the Bonds thing. You know, the numbers are there. But there's the rumors, and that keeps him out. Um, and this guy's not even close. I mean, it, it's unfortunate, in my opinion, that he's not even close. I think he should at least be in the 40s or the 50%. Um, <clears throat> but our little Twitter poll for Sheffield, 41% said yes, 59% said no. Um, was actually really surprised he even got that high from our followers uh, because the writers only gave him a 13.6% yes from an 11 yes or yesterday last year so he's not moving no but i think a theme that and that you can kind of identify too and this is one of my biggest gripes um is that some of the guys that you see that are a little bit lower on votes are also guys that you heard whispers that you know where they maybe not necessarily a clubhouse favorite among some of the baseball writers and obviously he's in that category yeah and that's a whole different can of worms that we maybe don't (laughs) want to open um, and there's certainly other guys that, you know, an argument could be made the exact same way. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think that Sheffield, with his numbers, he could be one for the Veterans Committee down the line. So I have two people that I want to talk about. Um, if we don't get to them, it's not a big deal. But I wanted to see if you had anybody else besides those two. I, I have a feeling we're going to be pretty much on the on the same page here with uh, definitely the next guy. Okay, so Kurt Schilling is was a great player um, had a few good years at least it, when I think of it it was a few good years um, kind of second fiddle to Randy Johnson a little bit with the Diamondbacks and then kind of came into his own a little bit in Boston at least that's how I remember it um, I remember him more as a Diamondback than anything else uh, partially because of Randy Johnson and I was always a fan of him but Voting. Um, let's see. We did not put Kurt Schilling on a Twitter poll yesterday, uh, but he got a 60.9% vote from the writers, up from a 51.2 in the previous year. Uh, to me, he's not a Hall of Famer, but six-time All-Star, NLCS MVP, World Series MVP, but to me, that's not Hall of Fame. Those are one-offs. Um, and was in three World Series and a, or a three-time World Series champion, excuse me. 216 wins, 146 losses, 3.46 ERA. To me, he's not a Hall of Famer. What do you think? I think what jumps out to me and hurts him the most uh, is that loss total. Um, 146 losses is, is a good bit. Now, if you look at the loss total of some of those Phillies teams, um, I think that that's probably in line. As far as his wins, you know, he has 13 more than Roy Halladay. Um, Roy Halladay's ERA 
for his career was 3.38. Kurt Schilling's is 3.46. When you think of it that way, maybe Kurt Schilling is a little bit more worthy. One stat, and I was looking to uh, do this today and make an argument against Kurt Schilling being in the Hall of Fame. And then the more that I looked at the stats, I actually kind of started to come around that maybe he should be there. And one of the biggest stats to me is um, he averaged 8.6 strikeouts per nine innings. That's extremely high uh, for a starting pitcher. Uh, you look at two of the pitchers that got in this year. Mike Mussina was at 7.1 per nine innings, and Roy Halladay was 6.9 per nine innings. And both of those guys, I remember striking out a boatload of batters. So the fact that Kurt Schilling was so much higher, um, you know, Kurt Schilling has 3,116 strikeouts. That's a thousand more than Roy Halladay. Um, so I think what's actually hurting Kurt Schilling here is a little bit of the fact that he was on some of those teams uh, through the lean years with Philadelphia and, you know, some of the stuff that's maybe gone on after his career. But I really think I could make the case that he should be there. I mean, I don't think, I don't think you would be wrong either way. And just to let you know that the president of the United States agrees with you. Uh, he made a case for Kurt Schilling on Twitter. Like he has nothing better to do, but um, I don't think he would upset people either way. Um, he's kind of been a little bit of a polarizing figure after baseball. And I think that's where people kind of get caught up in the no, he shouldn't be in. Uh, I think his numbers are there. It showed his average record was 15 and 10 for 162 games. Um, yeah. So he had a lot of losses, but he had a 20 year career. Right. You know, and it was a lot of six, seven, eight lost seasons when he was winning 10, 11, 12 games. Um, so it's almost like he was a 500 pitcher until he was on the Red Sox and on the Diamondbacks. True. So, but he was still striking guys out. Right. So I think he benefited from the team around him tremendously. And I think that those numbers with the Phillies, like you said, in the little bit that he might have had with the Orioles. Yeah, first two to three years probably. So I think that hurts his win loss record. Last one we're going to talk about, <clears throat> Omar Vizquel. Um, shortstop, had a few stops throughout his career. 11-time Gold Glove winner. Started in Seattle, which we kind of talked about a little bit already. And then Cleveland Giants, and then Texas White Sox in Toronto. Um, to me, he's either a Mariner or an Indian. But beside that, Let's see, where is his – he is a 37% yes and a 63% no, um, according to the Twitter poll. The Writers Association actually gave him almost a 43% yes. Um, do you think that's – I think it's low, and I think he gets hurt because he is a shortstop The Obviously, didn't have a lot of power. Most shortstops don't. You know, we have the couple, the A-Rod and the Nomar guys, but not a lot of power. 272 career average. Um, his hits, almost 3,000 hits, and to me, 3,000 hits is a guarantee Hall of Fame. Yeah. 500 home runs is, uh, but 3,000 hits is a yes. Um, 11 gold gloves. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think about whenever someone says Omar Vizquel is, is uh, watching – uh, some of those double plays be turned. Yeah. I mean, there was, I don't know if there was anyone that could turn him so fast and so quick. It, it's like he didn't even catch the ball before it was on its way to first base. Uh, the range that he had was absolutely unbelievable. 
far superior to many shortstops that are in the Hall of Fame and one that's going to be into the Hall of Fame next year. Um, and I think so often whenever you look at the numbers, you forget about what you saw, um, uh, what you saw him do in the field. I would have no issue at all with him being a Hall of Famer, if I'm being honest. I, I don't think it's going to happen, certainly not with the Writers Association. I mean, he's at 40%, so he's not too far away. Um, I don't know what year this was for him on the ballot offhand. Um, I definitely think he's a, a veterans committee if he doesn't make it. Yeah, I mean, he's probably his second or third year. I, I think with Toronto, he was there. Yeah, it so looks five like years 12. after, so yeah, second year, I think. That might actually be a pretty good total then. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe there is a chance. Especially – you know, we'll talk now, uh, next year's class, that might be a good time for Vizquel to get in. Um, probably the most popular shortstop in all of baseball history, possibly. Derek Jeter, highlight highlights next year's class. Uh, the 2020 ballot is kind of weak um, as far as new possibilities. So first-time appearances next year will be Derek Jeter, Bobby Abreu, Jason Giambi, Cliff Lee, Raphael Fercal, which I really thought Fercal was going to be the shortstop, like Fizcal. Oh, Derek um, yeah. Chavez, Josh Beckett, Brian Roberts, Soriano, and Paul Canerico. Um, I don't know what you think looking at that list, but I think obviously Jeter is going to be a guarantee first ballot. Um, well, I'll tell you I what think I think. He'll be 100%. Was- but other than that, I don't think anybody else gets in. Well, Larry Walker, I, I think, has to Well, get in. I'm talking new guys. Oh, the new guys. I'm sorry. I'm still hung up on Larry Walker. You know, the name that jumps out to me on this list would actually be uh, – well, jumps out for a good reason is Cliff Lee. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Cliff Lee, for a few-year stretch, I, I think he probably was the best pitcher in baseball. Whenever he was on, he was on. I mean, he was absolutely unhittable. Um, he threw – I call it a sinker. But that, whenever that thing would go down and in, I mean, nobody could hit that pitch. Um, and I think that you think about him certainly on, you know, with the Indians, but I, I kind of think of him those years, those couple, whenever they had all that success in Philadelphia, don't you? To me, he's an Indian. Okay. Uh, you know, not that there's anything wrong either way. I mean, you're talking Halliday and Cliff Lee in Philly. Uh, but to me, he's an Indian. I always think 2003 tops, that blue border card. Yeah. So I guess to me, it's just it's because of the cards on that one. Um, Jeter for sure. Cliff Lee would be my only other one that's a maybe. He's definitely on a first ballot. No. Uh-uh. He would I, be a six or a seven, I think. I agree. I think Bobby Abreu was actually a very, very, very good player. And, and I've not dug deep enough into, you know, maybe some of the pros and cons there. But I think that worst case scenario, Bobby Abreu maybe doesn't get as much credit as he should. Hall of Fame, yeah, probably not. One person on the list that kind of surprises me is Alfonso Soriano. Um, you know, didn't he have the huge contract yeah. with Texas? Yep. And then now we're talking he's on the ballot and he's not even not even up for consideration. So that kind of surprises me looking back that I thought for sure, you know, he was going to be in the Hall of Fame. And now it's like, eh. Yeah, and a lot of the guys in that time period, too, there were a lot of people like that that you saw have a few really good years, and that's why some of these people that aren't in, like your your Barry Bonds or even someone we didn't even talk about, Manny Ramirez, you know, you have all that hype, you have all that talent. They still have to go out and do it on a consistent basis. 
Um, and unfortunately, Soriano had some injuries, had some issues. Um, yeah, it's a shame what happened with his career. All right, so that's enough uh, Baseball Hall of Fame talk. We do have a couple of things that we're going to do today. Um, actually have a couple couple questions that we get asked a lot. Um, and I thought with Max being here, Max is kind of the, the show guy besides Sean. Um, I thought it would be good for to get his opinion. I know he's a collector. Um, and I just saw, I think he gave me a little preview. So it's, it's interesting for sure. Um, but we're he's going to answer two questions here for you. You've got mail. Uh, two mail questions. And if you guys in the future ever want to ask us a question, me, Max, you know, anybody else in the Still City collectibles or on the staff here, any of the breakers, we'll get that done for you. Uh, just use the hashtag Ask Steel City Scoop, and then we'll make it happen. Um, but I, I keep looking at his little preview here. So the first question, this is one that we always get asked, uh, maybe not this way, but in a roundabout way. What do you collect besides trading cards and sports memorabilia, if anything? Coupons. I love a good deal. <laughs> okay, so what do you collect besides trading cards? Like, no. Is there anything in particular? Um, well, I'll tell you, how about, um, not necessarily right now, although I do have an affinity for hats. Um, I, I definitely like to wear some different hats. One thing that I could tell you, I collected a lot as a kid, and I know this isn't exactly how it was answered. I was really into that Beanie Baby craze. I was that age, you know, I had the Bambinos ones. Um, whenever I found that glory tie Beanie Baby bear, um, at a store in Did Butler. You have the Princess Diana? Oh, I had more than one, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that was fun. The, the chase is fun. I had dabbled into some Hot Wheels as well. Um, going for the treasure hunt cars, you know, there were Redline Matchbox. Um, I always, I always kind of like stuff like that. All right. So for me, I collect a little bit of everything. Um, I do get made fun of a little bit because my player choices for cards and memorabilia don't exactly always turn out. Um, my super collection, and you can probably find it online, is Josh Fogg. Yeah. Um, what's going to be a legendary picture, pitcher, possibly in the Hall of Fame, and then I, just, I don't know what happened. But, you know, I collect cards, memorabilia. I have bats, jerseys, hats, baseballs, the whole nine yards for sports. Uh, but... <clears throat> I've always collected toys, um, action figures, uh, play sets, you know, any of that stuff. Um, actually, my grandmother did, probably where I got it from, uh, but I collected and still do, and my wife actually got into it. Uh, we collect toys, cars, you know, Toy Story, Turtles, um, Muppets. Mm. I mean, anything you can think of, we probably have a little bit of stuff. Uh, we were very bummed when Toys R Us went out of business and uh, it's still upsetting a little bit that's not there. And my son, who's four, he still asks if we can go to Toys for Us. Oh, yeah. So, oh. you know, it, it's heartbreaking that, you know, a child will grow up without Toys R Us. It's even weird to think about that. So, uh, big collector of toys and a little bit of comics here and there, but, you know, a little bit of everything throughout my life. And the second question was, do you remember the first card you purchased or kind of 
another angle to that is what's your favorite set. So either of those or if they go together. Yeah, this is memorable for me, and, and the picture that Jason was alluding to earlier that he was laughing is, is the card that was on top of a stack, which was the first cards that I had bought. Um, I was at a yard sale with my mother in 1990 or 1991, and I remember we were there for, to me, what seemed like about uh, 17 days. Um, and it was probably only about 10 minutes, but whenever you're a four- to five-year-old kid, it's not very exciting, and so... Um, as we were getting ready to leave and pay, I saw a little stack of baseball cards, everyone cover your ears, in a rubber band, and I asked how much it was, and the lady had said that it was a quarter, um, but since I had been so well-behaved, I could just have them, and I was tickled pink because my dad had baseball cards, my uncle had baseball cards, but I didn't have any for myself yet, and they were the 1990 top set. Um, on top of the stack was Ted Power, uh, the former Cardinal and Pirate with a wonderful mustache, uh, a Tom Selleck-like looking mustache. And this was a set that you may remember had uh, different colors, but they didn't necessarily correspond to the team's colors on the border. My favorite set all time. Yeah, and it's it, it's, it's funny that it worked out that way because that's always had a soft spot in my heart um, uh, on that set, and I'll never forget buying that, and that's what really got me hooked into the cards and what's led to the several hundred thousands of cards that I have at home today. Uh, so for me, I really don't remember the first card that I bought. I remember the first probably two cards that I found in my collection that were noteworthy. Um, one is positive, one is negative. I actually, as a kid, both of these must have been around 89 or 90. Um, I found an 89 score Barry Sanders rookie. Okay, This is the negative story. I had turned it over because at this point in time, I had not heard of this player. So I had no idea who it was. Okay. But I had turned it over. At least I did this on the back of the card and on the front and put my used sucker on the back of the card. Let me ask, what is sucker? A lollipop. Oh. Wow, that's not a good thing to do. So, no. So one of the first cards I remember had a lollipop stuck to the back of it and it was 89 score Barry Sanders rookie believe it or not so but at least the card no but at least it didn't get stuck to the carpet which is what I was trying to avoid um (laughs) (laughs) the other one is the 89 Don Ross Ken Griffey Jr. rated rookie did not know who Griffey was at this point in time um was actually looking through a packet and the card was worth a whopping four dollars yeah and I was like holy crap this is this is my guy. Yeah. You know? Right. So uh, those are the two cards I remember the earliest in my collecting career. Couldn't tell you what the first card I bought was. Um, I have an 89 on Griffey, not the same one. Never repurchased an 89 score Barry Sanders. Hmm. Probably haunts me to this day. But yeah. have you repurchased any more lollipops? Oh, my son loves them. So okay. yeah, definitely, Good. definitely. Good. Um. So, a couple quick things before we let you go. Uh, we've gone for right at an hour right now, so that's kind of where I like to cut it off. Um, wanted to give you guys a coupon. It is exclusive to the scoop. Um, this is good for $5 off a $50 purchase. Whenever you go to checkout on stillcitycollectibles.com, just use the code SCOOP5. Um, it is SCOOP and the number 5. 
all capitals, all lowercase, it doesn't matter. Uh, that'll get you $5 off a $50 purchase. And that is good through April 30th, 2019. And also have a little giveaway. I have a little mini stack of football packs right here. Tops Platinum, Donors Football, Prestige, just a nice little stack is just in time for the Super Bowl. And we're going to give a, a mini stack of packs away. Um, there is a question that I want you to answer, and we'll put this on social media as well. The question I want you to answer correctly is which team has the most Super Bowl appearances in NFL history? Do you have the answer? I believe that I do. Okay. We'll talk about it. But I want you guys to put on social media um, the answer to this question. Which team has the most Super Bowl appearances in NFL history? Should be a no-brainer for a lot of people, especially with what's going on in the Super Bowl right now. That'll kind of give them a hint without looking it up. Um, it'll be on social media. Post your answer. We'll award the winner um, about 10 or 11 football packs within the next couple of days. And then we'll just pick one random correct guess from all the entries. So we'll do that probably on Friday. Today's Wednesday. So that'll give you about 48 hours to enter the contest. And I appreciate everybody listening today. This is the Still City Scoop. And we will be back next time. Say goodbye, Max. Goodbye, Max. Heated as I thought. I agree with everything.